Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and it's showtime, folks. It is. We're going to put on a a real show here on the old Awesome Movie Year podcast. We've got uh, some uh, razzmatazz here for you. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, Josh, when I said that, I wanted Vivaldi playing in the background because I did have my jazz hands going in a way. So uh, I, felt, yeah. I felt, felt very Gideon-esque, which, of course, is Fosse-esque. So I was, I was actually channeling two, car- two dead people, Josh. Wonderful. <laughs> so in this season of Awesome Movie Year, uh, we have been talking about the films of 1980 and we are here at the Cannes Film Festival Palm d'Or winner, uh, which is Bob Fosse's film, All That Jazz. It was actually a tie at the Cannes Film Festival in 1980 between All That Jazz and Akira Kurosawa's film, Kagemusha, which uh, we decided not to cover. <laughs> so, well, I mean, who wants to watch anything by that hack, right? Right. So. <laughs> no, I'm sure is, I'm sure is brilliant. Um, not necessarily one of Kurosawa's best-known films, but uh, I'm sure uh, a great film, but also very, very long. And we've had a lot of long uh, films to cover but, this season. But to be honest with you, it could have been an hour and 20 minutes, and I would have argued for all that jazz. You know what a Fosse uh, <laughs> fanatic I am. Jason is a Fosse fanatic and uh, has been certainly an advocate for Fosse in our past seasons, um, whether it's to cover his films or just to talk about him, like when we talked about uh, how to succeed in business without really trying. And actually- I think I have a convert, Josh. I think I made a convert, a Fosse convert on this episode. I think you did. And uh, I think we'll get to talking about that uh, mm-hmm. shortly. So all that jazz actually, although this is uh, our 1980 season and it was at the 1980 Cannes Film Festival, was released in the US in December of 1979, uh, which is interesting because I feel like in all of our past Cannes episodes and just in general, that festival is known as sort of the launching pad for movies. And in this case, it was different where this movie came out in the US, it was highly acclaimed, it was nominated for nine Oscars and uh, won uh, four of those Oscars. And then in May of 1980, premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, and that was sort of the launching point for it to play uh, elsewhere internationally. It opened throughout 1980 in other countries outside of the U.S., so um, kind of had this extended life there. Um, And it was a box office success, grossing $37.8 million on its budget of $12 million, and as I said, lots of uh, awards attention, nine Oscar nominations. Uh, It won four, mostly in uh, lower categories, including Best Art Direction, uh, Best Costume Design, Best Original Song Score, which is uh, a thing that does not exist anymore, an award that does not exist that's separate from Original Score, uh, as well as Best Film Editing. Uh, It was nominated for a bunch of bigger categories, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Roy Scheider. Best Director for Bob Fosse, Best Original Screenplay for Fosse and Robert Allen Arthur, and uh, Best Cinematography for uh, Giuseppe Rotuno. I'm going to do a little Italian thing like Jason would do there. 
Yeah, Josh. So let me uh, let me add on to a few of those things there. Uh, Rutuno won the BAFTA for Best Cinematography, and uh, they also won for Best Editing. Is that Alan Heim? Is that is that the editor yes, there? Yes, Alan Heim is the editor. Uh, which he's a legend, man. Uh, he just got like a uh, an editing lifetime achievement award, but he he is a legend. I mean, that's one of the best thing about Fosse movies is how clean the editing is. I think. Um, you know, Josh, when we're talking about the ones that it didn't win, like you said, it was up for all the big ones. The one that jumped out to me when we talk about like, hey, here's a murderer's row category. It was the best actor of this year. Dustin Hoffman won for Kramer versus Kramer. Jack Lemon was up for the China Syndrome. Al Pacino and Justice for All. Roy Scheider for all that jazz and Peter Sellers for being there. <laughs> so it's like, what do you do? What do you yeah. do? So. Yeah, you can't you can't fault uh, Roy Scheider for missing on that one, certainly. And maybe when someday we talk about the awesome movie year of 1979, someday maybe, we'll get to some of those other movies. Yeah, and it was uh, a lot of awards and award nominations for a whole bunch of other uh, organizations. As you said, the BAFTAs, it, it won couple there and was nominated for six overall. Also, Roy Scheider nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Actor. Uh, as well as a bunch of other stuff inspired this movie, of course, inspired by Bob Fosse's own life, uh, specifically the time of his life when he was editing uh, his film Lenny, which is represented in this movie with the stand up is what they call it, uh, and preparing a stage production of Chicago, uh, which is represented in this movie by some I don't know. I, I could not get a sense in this movie of like what the stage musical was that he was trying to direct. It's called NYLA. So New okay. York, LA. And um, I, yeah, the, it's not as clear as the standup, but I think the point is um, he's working with material that he has to transform to make, make fit his standards, which uh, I'm not saying he had to do that with Chicago, but, but you know, he, he is Chicago, right? You think Chicago, you think Fosse, you know? So I think Rob Marshall. Genius. <laughs> well, uh, well, I got okay. Bye. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, so you know, interestingly enough, this movie is. I mean, obviously, it was nominated for all these awards, and I feel like it's quite a beloved, legendary film. Now, it was generally acclaimed by critics, but not quite as much as I had expected to find. Um, you know, at least in 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 what I was able to look up. Uh, it actually got a mixed response from Siskel and Ebert. Siskel gave it a thumbs up and Ebert gave it a thumbs down and uh, enjoyed the choreography and the dance numbers, but thought that the story was not interesting, was confusing Ebert. and self-indulgent. <laughs> yeah. And I was looking, it didn't seem like he wrote, uh, had a written review, or at least not that I could find. And his website is very, very comprehensive with all his reviews. So if it's not there, he probably didn't write about it. So uh, his uh, his TV opinion was all... Uh, all that jazz that he had on the film, but mm. he was not he was not a fan. Vincent Canby in the New York Times was more positive. He said, the film is an uproarious display of brilliance, nerve, dance, maudlin confessions, inside jokes, and especially ego. It's a little bit as if Mr. Fosse had invited us to attend his funeral, the wildest show business send-off a fellow ever designed for himself, and then appeared at the door to sell tickets and count the house. After all, funerals are only wasted on the dead. All That Jazz is an essentially funny movie that seeks to operate on too many levels at the same time. But Mr. Fosse, like Barnum and Bailey, believes in giving the customers their money's worth. 
Some of it makes you wince, but a lot of it is great fun. Not even Fellini, Ingmar Bergman, or Woody Allen, all of whom are similarly guilt-ridden, has ever celebrated himself quite so cruelly. I think the the, the sort of self-indulgent criticism is one of the most common ones here that, that Ebert had, and that kind of comes up here as well. Yeah, and to me, it's, it's narcissistic, it's self-indulgent, it's ballsy to make this movie. I mean, it's like, in a way, what do you want? They say, write what you know. He clearly has a big ego and is not afraid to put that on screen and also take himself down a few pegs with it. Like, I think that's one of the strengths of the movie is that he did go all in on himself and executed at such a high level. Like, you have to be really good at your job to pull this off. So, yeah, it's self-indulgent, but we're talking about a Broadway choreographer. I mean, you know. Is that is Broadway not self-indulgent sometimes, guys? <laughs> well, sure. I mean, and, and just because it is self-indulgent or narcissistic or whatever doesn't mean that it can't also be brilliant. And and sure, he takes himself down a peg, but I feel like it's almost like a humble brag, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm such a terrible womanizer. All these hot women love me and I can't resist. You know, it it I definitely mean, that, felt that, that way to me. That was his life. Literally, his girlfriend in real life played his girlfriend in this movie who confronted him about his womanizing, which he was doing in real life. So it's like, you know, <laughs> I, I think it was super honest in that regard there, Josh. So, I mean, that's what it is. It's I mean, what's rumors? What's what's the, um, you know, the Fleetwood Mac album rumors? Is that not indulgent and and brilliant as well, you know, in the same way? So Yeah, I mean, I think my my issue is that the brilliance is important that something this self-indulgent, uh, whether it's this or rumors or any other kind of autobiographical art is that if you don't find it completely brilliant, yeah. then it's tiresome. You're and right. It becomes I'm, a Vincent Gallo movie. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's a good example. Um, and I'm, I'm more enthused than Ebert, but I'm very mixed on the brilliance of this film. I, yeah. I don't love it. That's cool. Let me roll a few things there. You know, he mentioned Fellini. We know eight and a half. Bergman. Right. And then Stardust Memories came out around the same time. And so that was kind of Woody Allen's eight and a half, I, you know, I guess. So. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, all these guys are self-indulgent. We they have are. a podcast, Josh, where we give our opinions on classic movies. So, you know, we're definitely the ones who should be criticizing others for being self-indulgent. <laughs> I mean, I think it's still legit. People can criticize us for it. I'm open to it. But, you know, Fellini's, Fellini's Eight and a Half, of course, later turned into a musical film called Nine, directed by Rob Marshall. Your favorite. Yeah. I, I really, he's terrible. Yeah. Um, nine is not a good movie. Chicago's no, nine, a good movie. Nine is not a good movie. Chicago's not bad. Uh, Rob Marshall overall, not great. Um <laughs> Variety, in their typically uh, terse, unbylined review, said, All that jazz is a self-important, egomaniacal, wonderfully choreographed, often compelling film, which portrays the energetic life and preoccupation with death of a director-choreographer who ultimately suffers a heart attack. Roy Scheider gives a superb performance as Joe Gideon, creating a character filled with nervous energy. Running from project to project, the film portrays Gideon completing work on one film while working simultaneously on another project. The film's major flaw lies in its lack of real explanation of what, beyond ego, really motivates Gideon. And I'm kind of with that because I feel like if you don't know a lot about Bob Fosse, these characters are kind of opaque. Huh. I mean, 
I guess he had such an ego that he just figured everyone knew about him. Maybe. <laughs> right. I think you're right. No. And, and I know enough that I felt like I could fill in some of the gaps, but also like as a character, Joe Gideon is kind of inscrutable and not likable either. And mm. I don't know, it graded on me after a while. I, I mean, maybe you, you know, you could go that way. The opposite is I could totally disagree and be like, he, as you said, is a is a work obsessed, self indulgent, sex obsessed person, and you do see those elements and all those things, like when he's in the editing room and he's tuning out his producer, and you know when he gets when he finds out the sh- the movie's going to be a hit, but he needs to see the one bad review. You do see those elements. So, uh, and again, a lot of that does go with the uh, Scheider performance. I think there's a lot to it there, and you know, we're gonna have some disagreements on this one, boy. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I but I, I think you're right that you get a lot of that sense of his his narcissism and his insecurity. I never felt like I got a sense of his artistic brilliance that, you know, what got him there in the first place or what motivated him or sort of what vision he had that he then is, you know, feeling frustrated about realizing or is insecure about people's reactions to. Well, I disagree. I mean, first of all, you see that transformation of that number that uh, whatever the- Which he makes much worse, but you know, that's my just assessment of it there. Yeah, well, wet noodle Josh over here taking down that hack Bob Fosse, thank goodness, yet again. Yeah, yeah. um, But Josh, you know, we talked about Fosse in the past. Like how many Broadway choreographers or even directors could you name right now, Josh? Like current ones? Any of them, throughout history. I mean, I, you know, I'm familiar with ones who go on to make movies like Bob Fosse did, like Julie Taymor. Like Rob Marshall. Like Rob Marshall, (laughs) Julie Taymor, Sam Mendes, people like that. I don't know if I am familiar with any current like major theater directors who are just in theater because I'm not a theater person. Yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, He's not a director. I mean, he's a movie director now, but he was not a stage director, I don't think. That's true. That's fair. I'm just saying Fosse paved this way for a lot of people and everyone already knew who Fosse was. And, you know, we talked in um, that episode uh, and how to succeed in business in 1973. He won best director in three different mediums. Right. So his name was he was probably a superstar. Like people did know him the way that we know Scorsese or Tarantino. Like no one has ever done that before. One best director Emmy, best director Oscar and best director. Tony, like that's wild, man. That is very impressive. And I'm not necessarily disputing Bob Fosse's genius in creating other movies and stage productions. I'm just saying that this movie in and of itself did not sell me on Joe Gideon's genius. Yeah, I think that the self, if this wasn't self-indulgent, the movie falls apart. Like I, you need that narcissism to take, dude, Act three is like one of the wildest acts ever on film. And it's all like a celebration of like his life and death. And like, if you, if he didn't love himself or revere himself so much, I don't know that you could have pulled that act off, you know? It yeah. And I think balls. that's the weakest, the weakest act of the film too. Like, also, I, I, sorry, I have to correct myself. This is a yeah. five, this is a five act film, not a three. Or whatever the, 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 yeah, the final stretch of the film, yeah. whatever we want to call it. So on the fully negative end, Gary Arnold in the Washington Post said, all that jazz, Bob Fosse's first movie since the 1974 Lenny, an acridly maudlin biography of the late Lenny Bruce, 
is an alienating slice of backstage musical autobiography, an acridly maudlin spectacle depicting the hectic professional life, promiscuous love life, and death-infatuated fantasy life of a character one is tempted to call the late Bob Fosse, although he is called Joe Gideon and impersonated with harrowing authenticity by Roy Scheider. By the time the film is over, the movie has degenerated with a jaundiced vengeance. Fosse's sour, grandstanding cynicism imposed an intolerable burden of self-pity on his talent, our compassion, and the tradition of the backstage musical. And he goes on a lot. It's quite a long review for a daily newspaper, um, but he was not a fan of it. Hey, Josh, what was the name of that paper he wrote for? The Washington Post. Are you sure it wasn't the Washington Milk Toast? Because this guy sounds really bland. (laughs) Zing, 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 zing. That was a really weak one there, buddy. Well, they're not all going to be hits. (laughs) No. (laughs) Unless you're Bob Fosse. (laughs) Josh, here's the thing, man. Yeah. Do I have to defend Lenny now? Am I? Are you going to make me defend Lenny to Gary? Arnold? I I have not seen Lenny, so you know I you can only defend it from Gary Arnold. But I will say, watching the fake version of Lenny in this movie made me think that I would hate Lenny. But go on. Well, as I called you the other day and said, "Hey, Josh, you should watch Lenny in preparation for this podcast." I didn't have time for that. I just watched this movie. I'm sorry. I mean, between you on this and Dave not watching the previews on goddamn piecing it together, how many <laughs> podcasts can I carry this month, Josh? <laughs> Listen, Lenny, I'm a, I'm a comedian. I don't know if you yeah. know that, Josh. I do stand-up I do. comedy, right? Yeah. You're the Bob Fosse of comedy. <laughs> that's probably, that's, that's, I might be, I might also be the Gwen Verdon of comedy, depending on right. um, yeah. Lenny might be my favorite movie ever about stand-up comedy because it is the most honest portrayal of stand-up comedy in the same way, and I was thinking about this, like the same way that Dave, the little Dicky show, is the most honest portrayal of yeah. stand-up comedy because that show has nothing to do with stand-up comedy. It has to do with the artist's psyche and the artist's mentality. And Fosse brought that to Lenny, right? So what you're getting is the understanding of the motivation, the philosophy of that character. So, I mean, you know, once you say, like, Lenny, uh, Lenny's trash, and then, so this is trash, like, I'm, I'm over it, Gary Arnold. Go back not to the, the Washington hoax. Not mm. any better. Nope, not sure any not. Better. <laughs> so, no. Uh, no, I, you know, I would like to see Lenny, despite, despite that uh, assessment that I thought of while watching this. I, I think it's a movie that I, obviously is highly acclaimed, and I do think Bob Fosse is, is very talented. I didn't have time, unfortunately, this week. But I would like to see it at some point in the future. Well, I, I made time. Yeah, I you know what? I, I almost made I probably couldn't have made the time. But if I had like an inkling of doing that again, watching the version of it in this film, I thought this is not something that I want to spend two hours with. But maybe someday. But again, you're not seeing what you're seeing is the stand up interludes in there, which are very sure. important. And uh, that's that's the character is a Davis Newman here. That's what Clip played by. Uh, yeah, uh, played right. by Cliff Cliff Gorman, who was in the stage version of Lenny, but not and one, in and the one film. And one Tony, right? Yeah, so yeah. And also, Josh, we we remember him as Sonny Valero from Ghost Dog. We just covered him not too long. Oh, ago, right, so. that's true. Yeah, so Cliff Gorman won the Tony, and then he, you know, they went with obviously Hoffman for the movie, who's brilliant in it. And then, you know, so Cliff Gorman's playing. Is he playing Lenny? Is he playing Dustin Hoffman as Lenny? You're not seeing the whole movie. Again, that's another one of those pieces 
Same with Cabaret. They're all structured so uniquely compared to what we consider mainstream movies. Like they all have their own structure where they're going in and out of different worlds and performances that you can't you can't get the full feel for Lenny on, on this. No, one. and I like I, I'm not I'm not offering any kind of assessment of Lenny. I will I will love to see it at some point. And I will say as I'm being down on stuff, I think Cabaret, which is the only other Bob Fosse movie I have seen, is brilliant. I loved it. So yeah. put that out there. I mean, Josh, all that jazz, nine Oscar nominations, Cabaret, 10 Oscar nominations. So, you no, know, I, I, he's obviously very successful and beloved. And my feeling on this, so I had seen this movie before, like 15 years ago, maybe, or something, just as one of those, oh, this is a major film I yeah, should see. Check it off the list. And I think at the time I thought it was, I was, I liked it okay, but I was a little underwhelmed coming to it as a classic. And I was hoping this time, we've talked about this on, on here before, I feel like a lot of times coming to some of those major movies with huge expectations and baggage leads to disappointment, even if the movie is good. And for me, coming back a second time, having already had that cycle or whatever, I'll, I'll like it a lot more. And I was hoping for that. And I feel like I maybe liked it even less this time. Um, that reading all these criticisms and hearing what Ebert was talking about, I was like, you know what? I'm kind of on that wavelength. But at the same time, all of the, I guess I'm on board with the fact that it won all these Oscars for the more technical aspects, the costumes, uh, the editing, you're right. The editing is, is brilliant in this film. The production numbers are fantastic. The choreography, all of that stuff. Uh, I was not particularly engaged with like Joe Gideon as a character, uh, or uh, the emotional arc of this film, but you can't deny the the just the craftsmanship of putting this film together. So, so it, it lost to Kramer versus Kramer, which swept like everything that year, right? That one picture director and actor that was for Hoffman, and I think uh, didn't he win? Bent that's Robert Benton, who we've talked. Yeah, about we've talked before. about this before that film, which I still haven't seen. But he won picture. Director and screenplay that year. Pretty good year for, you know, an actor yeah. and Meryl Streep won too. So right. meanwhile, Cabaret back in what, 72, 73 is the 72, most. 72, yeah. I think at the time, maybe still the most Oscars ever by a movie not to win Best Picture, right? It won eight out of 10 and it lost Best Picture to some movie that I don't know is, if anyone remembers. It's called The Godfather, maybe. <laughs> so, you know. Um, not a so, musical, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. So this was also nominated, uh, like we said, picture director, um, original screenplay, cinematography. Am I forgetting one? Maybe. I don't know. So, yeah, we went through it. Yeah. So I think where we separate is the criticisms that you mentioned. I see as strengths towards this movie. Yeah. And so obviously you're a big Bob Fosse fan. When did you first see this film? I first saw it in college in a screenwriting class. And it was because he showed it because it's a five act structure, which is totally different. You know, we know three act structure and everything. And, um, you know, and part of the other reason I think he showed it was because it, it was as brazen as it is. Like this guy made this whole movie celebrating himself, predicting his own death, which was accurate. You know, like he literally died, what, like seven, almost eight years later, almost exactly as he predicted he would. So, right. um, you know, I don't know. And Scheider, if you don't like the character, I can see that. But Scheider's really good, man. He's he's good game. at playing a character that I didn't really want to spend a lot of time with. And yeah. he effectively puts that forth. I agree. Yeah. 
So Dave, you had never seen this before though, right? No, I hadn't. I, I think in my mind, I was uh, conflating this and Cabaret as like maybe the same movie, um, you know, always seeing the, the, the title, all that jazz, but yeah, I had never seen it and uh, I absolutely loved it. I, I love everything about this movie. All the things Jason's talking about um, and Scheider is just so good. And, yeah. and Dave, I know you watched Cabaret this week also. Was that your mm-hmm. first time? Also Lenny. That? And yeah, Lenny. also Lenny. Yeah, uh, but new co-host of the the podcast, Dave Rosen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Dave, Dave used to Dave used to watch zero movies for the podcasts, and now he's watching three. <laughs> so Dave, that was your guys. first time seeing all three of those, right? Yes. Do you yes. think Do you think my assessment of how Lenny was portrayed in this film and what Lenny is overall is fair? Yeah, sure, uh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, all that jazz is my favorite of the three. Um, I, I just think just. To to have that much that much balls in making a movie like this is just uh, just an awesome thing to watch unfold. Yeah, I like that about it too. Obviously, yeah. I mean, yeah. I I appreciate the brazenness of it, and and I always, as we've probably talked about, it's always more interesting to see a movie that takes a lot of chances, even if I feel like those don't all work, than a movie mm-hmm. that just plays it safe and is mediocre and forgettable. So. Props to Bob Fosse for having the guts to do this kind of thing, even if to me it doesn't really all come together. One thing I was reading was that Shirley MacLaine said, uh, and I don't remember where they worked together. Maybe it was on a Broadway player or Sweet Charity, I think is where they worked together, right? His first movie. When he had that heart attack in like 74 or when he was editing Lenny, she visited him. And she was the one who said to him, hey, you should make a movie about like your relationship with life and death. And, you know, so um, I'm sure that he was like, I should make that movie because it's about me and my relationship. (laughs) But it was someone else's idea, nonetheless. Yeah. Did she did she psychically envision that uh, that film coming about and his uh, wasn't that a Shirley MacLaine thing? Yeah, uh, that she's I think you're right. Also, yeah. she's a legendary actress, but whatever. She is gosh. also a brilliant actress. You are right. <laughs> but that's what I thought of first. Uh, anything else you want to mention on the background of this film, Jason? Is there anything else? I think, I mean, we talked a lot already in this um, in this first segment about it. Do you want to talk a little more about the soundtrack score? What that was, that award, Josh? We might have mentioned it. I, I don't know a ton. I didn't look up a lot of info. I know it is an award that doesn't exist anymore and maybe should because it is sort of an award for, inter- you know, this this movie integrates a lot of existing, you know, songs that had already, that could not be counted as original songs or original score, but it repurposes them in creative ways. And a lot of movies do that currently. And I know there's always controversies now. I think Johnny Greenwood had this with one of his uh, scores for Paul Thomas Anderson that got disqualified because it used too many elements of pre-existing music. So I'm not sure why that was discontinued. Maybe there was a period. I did see that there were only like three nominees for it in this category uh, with with all that jazz winning. Maybe there wasn't enough to fill it out. Um, Certainly the Oscars are now in a a moment where they don't want to add more categories. And that's a whole separate issue. But Mm. I'm not sure. My guess is it was in part a category that existed when there were a lot of musicals, including musicals that would use songs that were not original. And as the number of movie musicals dwindled in, you know, like the 80s and 90s, especially, it was no longer really a relevant thing. But I don't know a ton about it. All right. I'll give two things in and we can roll on to the next segment there. Josh. All right. 
like Fosse created the shoulder roll, one of his classic dance moves there. Uh, this was the first VHS ever when it came out on video to uh, feature a stereo soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. And Josh, while you might not like this movie, some dude named Stanley Kubrick called it the best film I've ever seen. And I don't dislike Stanley the movie. Kubrick, Josh. Who's <laughs> <laughs> also overrated, but... Maybe we'll talk about that in a future season. You you keep rolling on that Rob Marshall train. Yeah. (laughs) Pirates of the Caribbean 4. Brilliant. Uh, We'll come back in a moment and talk about our general thoughts on all that jazz. Welcome back to Awesome Movie. What's going on there? No, 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 keep going. I'm giving you a little all that jazz background. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. On this episode of our season on the films of 1980, we're talking about the Cannes Palme d'Or winner, All That Jazz by Bob Fosse. And Jason is very poorly attempting to give me some sort of background music there that I'm sure sounds terrible in the sound mix. But it's uh, it's very little. I'll make it sound great. It's very little of that jazz the way I do it. Yes, exactly. So, uh, you love this, and I've already been kind of uh, piling on the negativity, so uh, why don't you take it away? What is the most brilliant thing about this film? Uh, I mean, I think the most brilliant thing about it is that he pulled it off. That's, to me, the most brilliant thing about it, because I totally agree with you if it is just um, self-indulgent and narcissistic and, you, and you're not into it or it doesn't deliver, then, like, yeah, you're just, you just want to hate it. I get that, you know? At the same time, you mentioned the technical brilliance. like. Um, First of all, nobody shoots dance numbers the way that he shoots. Like he really makes you feel like you're on stage with the dancers and seeing the elegance and like, you know, the way he appreciates the shape of people, you know, that, sorry, Ed Sheeran, um, you know, like you see that in the way that that he, you know, accentuates their movement, the shot selection. We already talked about the editing. Cinematography is great all the way through this thing. Um, and, you know. The music, like we said, like there's a reason it won that Oscar that doesn't exist anymore, you know? So I love all those things. And then I got to talk about Roy Scheider. And then please take whatever you want, because I know I'm mentioning a lot here. No, go for it. Roy Scheider's very good. He's also very flippant. Like, um, it's very weird. Like, sometimes, like, he'll play a scene as if, like, he hears everything, but doesn't care about any of it, right? Like, you know, it'll be like, you know, they're like, you know, with Jessica Lang, Angelique, and he's like, and you, and you did a lot of that, didn't you? And he'll just be like, yeah, you know, just like, it's so sarcastic and like assholeish and like, you know, of course I did, you know? And it's just like, it's a, it's a really interesting character portrayal, I thought. So those were all things I loved. I can, and then we'll go into some specifics, but you know, I'm just hitting you with the, with the home runs right off the bat. Well, I mean, I think you're right in that about Roy Scheider. And I think that's the point. It's like the character is meant to be that kind of person who is very flippant about, about his sort of genius and also about his flaws, about the way he mistreats the women in his life, about his drug addictions, uh, his, you know, demanding nature as an artist, all of that stuff. He's just like, yeah, that's how it is. And, you know, in a way he sort of shrugs himself to death because he's unwilling to take the steps necessary to keep himself alive. I mean, you get the sense, or at least I got the sense in this film that Joe Gideon's death is extremely avoidable, that he pushes himself for no good reason 
to, uh, you know, fail to recover from his heart attack and end up dead. It was um, a self-fulfilling prophecy in, in real life, mm-hmm. too, by making this movie. Because you're right. Like, he had, I mean, hey, dude, don't party as much. You know? Yeah. Like, right. Or don't maybe don't party, like, in your literal hospital room. You <laughs> right. Know? Maybe just right. at least wait till you get home. Right. Yeah. And one, one of the things I really liked about it is, like, it, it, isn't it true that a lot of self-destructive celebrities are like the most exciting ones to watch like and and i think this kind of mirrors that in a lot of ways and i'm sure that could you know you could also say that those people are just narcissistic assholes and you don't want to watch them but i think for a lot of people that is really exciting well yeah i think there's a fine line there and to me a lot of this movie kind of crosses that line well Hmm. i mean there's never a point in this movie where his self-destructive nature makes people turn on him you know what i mean like right which is almost i mean maybe it's true is that how it was was but i was almost like annoyed by the fact that it makes those characters all seem so weak that he can't do anything to make people not love him yeah at the same time he was a brilliant artist this was a different time period right like you know a lot of his movies lenny deals with it and of course cabaret deals with it like you know um sexuality and uh different situations and what we would consider like uh sexual norms you know whether it's polyamory or um you know uh multiple partners and i think like the fact that he got his girlfriend to play his girlfriend and that gwen verdon his ex-wife like was basically the keeper of the fossey shrine like they loved him not just till he died but like after they he died they both made sure his legend lived on so I mean, I see what you're saying, but if he's making an honest movie, he's making an honest movie. Well, yeah, but I feel like this goes for any movie based on a true story that just because you you, like this is how it really happened is not necessarily a defense. Like it still has to work narratively in a film. And sometimes telling the truth makes for a worse movie. Right. I would argue in this case, it doesn't. It's not um, the conflict here is not with him and other people. It's him and himself, right? Him versus what he is doing versus what he shouldn't be doing. Right. And also, however, that whole appealing, interesting aspect of Roy Scheider's performance that you're talking about being about being flippant kind of renders that conflict irrelevant. It doesn't really feel like there is a conflict because he just gives like at no point does it seem like he's making an effort to change or to, you know, alter his behavior, to make different choices in his life in order to literally live. And so there's just, it's kind of a lack of conflict there. He just gives in to all of those tendencies until he's in a body bag at the end of the movie. Which is a striking ending, you know? It is. Because you're going from this huge musical number, uh, celebratory, and just like lights, 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 to this kind of, silent shot of them zipping up the body bag and then Ethel Merman's there's no business like show business again commenting on everything he's he's all in on you know so i i hear what you're saying but um yeah i guess i just i just like it too much i think it all, it's all effective that none of those things that bother you bother me right and that's why i mean and you're you're with a lot of people are are very much with you and i think especially over time too maybe there were some negative responses Obviously, there were some negative responses when it came out, but I think over time, this has become really a canonized film, so people do love it. And I, I, I tried, like I said, I wanted to and kind of expected to love it even more, and it just, 
I could, it just did not grab me at all. Josh, one thing I really like about it, and I mentioned this with Lenny, is like, I think it's really hard to portray the arts honestly. People either like, you know, put a lot of gloss on them or make it really boring. And I think, honestly, he's so good at portraying the arts honestly and making it so exciting. You know, we keep talking about these same three movies, but. I just love what he does, man. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think you're right that it's 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 an honest portrayal of the arts in this film, especially some of the less savory aspects, like the the business uh, dealings for those producers, especially that meeting that they have with the insurance, where they learn that you know the best possible outcome for them would be if he dies, and then the insurance would pay out a huge amount of money, um, or just their reactions to his uh like you were saying the sort of makeover that he gives to this one musical number that we see from the the stage production that he's putting on or the producer of Lenny who is you know yelling at him that he's so behind schedule and uh then of course when the movie comes out and is a success he's uh oh you 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 made all the right choices it was great it was good that you took your time um you know there's a lot of cynicism there um oh, i think it makes the arts seem extremely unappealing though. I mean, and I feel like that's, that. I don't think that's a flaw necessarily. He's saying, here's something that I gave my life to that maybe is just kind of a, a sham in a lot of ways. I think it's the idea of him putting the arts, uh, you know, obviously over everything else. And he loves his daughter, she loves him, but you know, he has to make time for her, you know, or has to cancel on her and everything like that. And she wants him to settle down. Um, Man, I guess, I I mean, you know, look, man, having the background that I have, I just feel like I know so many people who are so obsessed with, you know, the arts, theater, acting, whatever it is that, like, I felt it was very honest. But yeah, of course, it's um, if you're not Bob Fosse, if you're like that dancer who he said, like, hey, you're never going to be great, but I can make you better. Yeah, it's not that it's not as rewarding. So. Right. Yeah. And again, I don't see that as a flaw of the film. I think that's actually one of the strengths that he's showing that he's maybe more willing to be fully critical of show business than he is uh, of himself. He is critical of himself in some ways. Like every time he feels like one of his girlfriends is going to leave, like the Katie character, he always backs down, you know, I don't think you should go. I love you and this and that. Like he shows that he can't be alone at any point in time and that. He needs not just his own self uh, congratulations. He needs other people around him to feel worth worth, which I think from what I read was a truism about Bob Fosse. Yeah. But again, I feel like that is still the kind of self-criticism that also turns into self-aggrandizement. You know, he needs that and he gets it. All of these people love him and it's easy for him to get them to love him in this film. So. To me, the show business stuff was harsher where it it has less of that like, but it's all great actually, or whatever. Or the criticism is something that actually inflates the ego. So to me, you know, that was that was a little more, a little more biting, the show business stuff. The the relationship in this movie that I really did like was the relationship between him and his daughter. And I felt like because she's a child, it's easier to understand her willingness to forgive him all his flaws and to just love him because she doesn't fully understand yet. She's she's a child and he's her father. Um, and I liked that relationship. I felt like that 
made him seem a little less narcissistic when he's spending time with her, that she's maybe the only person that he can reduce his ego with slightly, even though, of course, he's also trying to basically make her into a mold her into a younger version of one of his wives or girlfriends or even himself. Um, but uh, I thought that was a sweet relationship that humanized him more than anything else in the film. Mm. Um, I want to turn it over to David in a minute, but I do want to bring up, Josh, one of my favorite parts of this movie is, you know, he comes home after the long day and Katie and his daughter have perfected that everything old is new again number and they perform it for him. And it's beautiful and sweet and wonderful and not perfect. And that's what makes it so perfect. Like, what a wonderful expression of love through the arts on screen. Yeah, that is a nice little scene. And it also shows the bond that the daughter has with, you know, his current uh, his current girlfriend that she's, you know, hoping that he'll eventually marry because she wants that family unit that she doesn't have. So, yeah, I like that scene, sir. Sure. Dave, jump in. Yeah, I well, the only other thing I would really kind of bring up is the, the other like major thing about this movie that I love so much. And that's kind of the the headspace of somebody who is a creative and is juggling so much all at once. And, you know, between his working on, uh, you know, the, the Lenny Standen um, film, the stand-up film, uh, and the show that he's working on and juggling all of his relationships and all that stuff. And then the way that everything kind of blurs together constantly at all times. And I, I just think that that's, you know, you keep using the word honest, uh, Jason, but, you know, really, like, that's what it felt like to me. It's like somebody just kind of laying it out just how difficult it is to to kind of burn so many candles at the same so, time. So, you know, look, and Josh, I'm yes. comparing myself to Bob Fosse, so save the <laughs> save the harpoon here. Well, it's okay. I think Dave maybe was just comparing himself to Bob Fosse as the Bob Fosse of podcasting and film composing, Ooh. potentially. Five Possibly, casting? but uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's like, these are exciting. Those are exciting days. Today I woke up and I had already, you know, a rehearsal for this play that I'm doing. We have this, you know, tonight I might write about a restaurant. I've already talked to a venue today about a new comedy show. That's like really fun to do this stuff. Right. And you do get excited. And I know it's been a criticism of me from like past writing partner of where he's like hey why can't you just focus on one thing and it's like maybe you're right maybe that would be better but like i would get bored i would get cranky i need mm -hmm. that constant stimulation of myself you know and um so i get what you're saying like there there are just people who like are you know you need you need that constant uh voracious creativity in your life whatever it is right i i think about the idea that some people have weekends where they just don't do stuff. And I'm just like, that. that's so foreign to me. Like, Yeah, Dave, know. it's funny you mentioned that. My therapist, yeah, guys, my therapist. <laughs> hey, so, who is just criticizing I, this podcast for being self-indulgent? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we're definitely self-indulgent. Let's go back to season two where I talk about my relationship with my mom a lot. Yeah. Um, what, what did your therapist say, Jason? No, should, she, we have her, should we have her as a guest on yeah, this episode? Yeah, let's have her break Probably. down all that. Actually, this would be a perfect movie for her to break down, wouldn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Um, no, but she said, she said to me, she's like, do you ever just take a day to do nothing? And I was like, until she said that, that like never occurred to me. And now once in a while, I try to just like watch movies or do nothing with a day. But like, Josh, you're not that different. You might not do as many different things, but you literally just told us 
it's Saturday when we're recording this and you're going to watch three movies the rest of the day for work, right? So that is true, but I wish I didn't have to see, I feel like, I mean, I enjoy a lot of the work that I do and I enjoy this podcast, but a lot of, especially work-wise, it's like, I gotta, you know, I have to do it. We all have to do it. We got to make a living. And if I was afforded the opportunity to just do nothing all the time, you know, going back to when we talked about office Office space, space, yeah. I'm all on board on that. I feel like I'm not one of those people who would be like, I need to be busy, you know, even if it's not like a financial necessity. No, Mm -hmm. I definitely do need that. And I think Dave needs that. But Josh, you don't have to watch all the things you do watch. You do pile it on yourself sometimes. So in some, in some cases, but you know, also, Hey, I could have watched Lenny for this podcast and I didn't do that. So (laughs) I don't think you'd like Lenny by the way. (laughs) So we got it. You have, how about this before the end of, this season, watch Lenny so we can discuss it in the epilogue. We'll season. discuss it in the epilogue. Yeah, I'm sure I can get to that. Um, now, Josh, tell us about some of your other flaws. Yeah, I feel like we've <laughs> we've we've both aired many of our flaws over the course of however many episodes of this podcast. That looks like had. you're up, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> let's give this a rating. No, no, shall we? hey, Josh. No, before we do that, because you did reference something, and we've talked about it a lot. I think we got to at least. Um, at least dissect a little that giant uh, fantasy sequence where he is dying and, you know, they're having this great show for him in his mind. And he's the star of the show with uh, Ben Vereen as O'Connor flood. And you said you didn't like that sequence to me. It's um, it's a magical sequence. Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of thing where, like I said, I can see all the craft of it, the choreography, the cinematography, the costumes, the set design is really impressive, but that is like the height of the self-indulgence because there's not even any more story left. It's just his mental projection of his own greatness, of you know the people in his life paying tribute to him. And unlike that scene, that earlier scene that you mentioned where his girlfriend and his daughter put together that kind of messy little dance number uh, for him in the apartment where it's flawed, you know, but you get the sense of their passion, their personal passion in it. The fantasy sequence is his fantasy versions of those people just loving him. And, and it just goes on and on and on. And then it it leads to that great final shot, as you're saying, where after this dazzling production number, we just have this stark cut to him in the body bag, but especially the sequence where it's like, the why the ex-wife and then the girlfriend and then the daughter i was just like get on with this already see i would say like i love this sequence i'm glad that they were all in there and because that final shot is what it is which is similar to lenny as dave knows from actually trying to be ready for this podcast there's that ending and it just cuts the it drops the bottom out on you so the higher that sequence goes versus that final shot is like that's why that sequence has that emotional effect on me. I think Fosse is very, in all these movies we're talking about, he slows down this, the, whatever the end of act two would be to like, really like kind of make you a little uncomfortable. And then in act three, he pulls out all the stops. That's like a, a Fosse trademark to me. Yeah. And it, uh, it, it worked for me. Like I've said, I mean, we haven't mentioned it much, but I do think Cabaret is brilliant and yeah. I, I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I loved it at the time. So I, I'm, I, it, you know, whatever he does, does work for me sometimes work for me only sporadically 
in this. So movie. what should we rate it out of, Josh? You well, we got to give it the, the balloon scale, right? Yes. Like the critic in this film who gives uh, oh. Bob Fosse's movie a bad review on her, her four balloon scale. She gives it yes. half a balloon. Okay, so we'll go out of five balloons. <laughs> we might as well yes. do it because we always do. Yeah, out of five balloons, how many do you want to give it? Uh, it's four and a half for me, which is the yeah. same I gave Lenny and the same I gave Cabaret. Like, these are just brilliant films to me. All right. I'm going to give it three balloons, which was the rating I had given it when I first saw it. And I was almost going to go lower, but I, there's just there's enough great stuff in this movie that I think it's at least overall worthwhile. So three from me. Dave, are you going to deflate a balloon? No, sir. It's a full five from yeah, me. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, since Jason mentioned it, uh, I gave Cabaret four and a half and I gave Lenny four. So, All right. So Dave, yeah. the Fosse convert here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of all that jazz. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1980, we have been talking about the Cannes Film Festival, Palme d'Or winner, Bob Fosse's All That Jazz. And in terms of the legacy, I mean, as Jason has mentioned, this movie essentially predicted Fosse's own death. Uh, he did not live that much longer after this movie came out. Uh, he made one more film called Star 80 in 1983, which uh, I have not seen. And uh, two more big Broadway productions that he worked on, one of which was an original show called Big Deal in 1986, uh, the other of which was a revival of his show Sweet Charity, which he, of course, had also made into a film was working at the time of his death on a film about Walter Winchell starring Robert De Niro. So that would have been, yeah, that would have been something. And uh, so in 1987, he died of a heart attack at age 60. And and wasn't that like on the way to one of his shows? It might be. I think he was died in Gwen Verdon's arms. You know, his his wife slash ex-wife who is, you know, represented in this film by Leland Palmer's character. Yeah. Um, And they worked, they worked basically hand in hand throughout their lives, you know, and she's, She's a Broadway legend as well. So, so, and have you seen Star Eighty, Jason? Star Eighty, I haven't seen yet. That's the Dorothy Stratton story about the, you know, Playboy Playmate who is ascending to heights of, uh, you know, uh, fame, and her, she dumps her boyfriend, and then you know he ends up murdering her, and it, it seems almost, um, uh, let's say, prescient of the what where society would go with fame. Uh, it's one of the few I haven't seen. I, I do. I haven't seen Sweet Charity. Uh, so they're, they're both on my list. I did watch Liza with a Z this week, though. The Liza Minnelli, um, wonderfully indulgent television special. That's also legendary, you know? Yes. And I mean, you know, look, she, she, we, she crackles off the screen. We talked about that in New York, New York. And this is like Fosse and Candor and Ebb and Liza. And like, they're all at their best. And it's like, you know, you don't have to like the music to love this special. So I, I'm just all in on all these guys, man. Uh, yeah, clearly. So, and I think Fosse, because he died young, you know, he made only these five films. Obviously, he has this huge Broadway legacy as well, but only made these five films. You know, he sort of, he didn't have the chance to fall off necessarily. You know, yeah. he's got this small body of work, all of which are films that people love. Um, and so he remains this sort of legendary figure having gone out at a fairly young age. Yeah, I didn't. I think he was 60 when he died. I didn't. Yeah, check. not not 25, but still. Yeah, yeah 60. Now, I, you're right. Yeah. I didn't check if like Lenny or 
some of the other uh, films were up for any awards. But assuming it's just cabaret and all that jazz, that's that's uh, twelve out of nineteen win- wins, including you know director. You know, so he's doing fine. And you know, Liza, best actress, Joel Gray, best supporting actor for cabaret. So, and then also in the Tonys, he was nine for twenty. So. He won director. He won best choreographer multiple times. Like he he hit it, man. And we talked about the Emmys already. So, yeah, I mean, you know. achieved really all that you can achieve, even you know, even with his life being cut short. Lenny was nominated for six awards, by the way. Six Oscars. Nice. Yeah. Did it there win any? Picture, actor, actress, director, adapted screenplay, and cinematography. Did it win any? No. All right. I mean, so. you know, that's not a that's still not a nothing good, achievement. You know. Still, that's yeah, pretty damn good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, and, and going with the tragedy, uh, Robert Allen Arthur, who was the co-writer of this film, he died before the movie came out. So, you know, a lot of specter of death kind of hanging over this film as well. Roy Scheider, you know, we talked about how great he is in this film and he got uh, all these award nominations and was an incredibly prolific actor all the way until his death in 2008. But just kind of skimming through his roles, this might have been like, the last one of one. the heights. Yeah, yeah. The last great one, really. Uh, I mean, he's, he was in a ton of movies. Um, you know, he was a leading man for a while in the eighties and then kind of fell off and became a character actor. And later in his life did a lot of probably not very good, like straight to video type stuff. Also a lot of TV. I remember, I feel like the first thing I ever saw Roy Scheider in was uh Sequest DSV, yeah. the uh, sci-fi show in the nineties that he was on with Jonathan Brandis and a talking dolphin. Yeah. Um, and he eventually <laughs> said that show was bad and wanted out and got out, you know? I'm so. sure it was bad, but when I was a kid, I kind of was into it. Roy, so. Roy Scheider is, is this, his French connection is Jaws. And yeah. I mean, I haven't seen Marathon Man, but that those are the four I'd say. Probably. Yeah, I have seen Marathon Man. Yeah. And uh, all of those. So, you know, really kind of a, a, his height there in the 70s, but certainly kept working for a very, very long time. You know, most of the other main stars of this film were primarily stage actors. I mean, except, I mean, Jessica Lange. She's Jessica Lange. Yeah. Yes. This was only her second film after the King Kong remake, which Dave, yeah. have you seen that one as a huge King Kong fan? Yeah, it's. Not very good, but uh, Just yeah. like, she's great. Though. Two two Academy Awards, three Primetime Emmys, a Tony, Screen Actor Guild, five Golden Globe Awards. She's one of the most awarded actors of our of all time, I'd say. Yeah, she's amazing. Six, yeah. I think she's been nominated six times at the Oscars and won one two Incredible. of those, yeah. and and seems to have you know she still works like she had a big resurgence of of popularity by starring on American Horror Story for yeah. however many seasons. So the Oscars oh, yeah. were for uh, Tootsie and was it Blue Sky? I think. Yeah, which is a film I've never heard of from yeah. the '90s. Yeah. Yeah, and you were mentioning Leland Palmer and Anne Ranking. Leland Palmer uh, has two Tony nods. She was playing the Gwen Verdon character, kind of retired but taught theater out. Seems like in California. Anne Ranking. Broadway legend, Roxy Hart. She originated Roxy Hart in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. Won a Tony for that. Also choreographed the show Fosse, which was a huge hit after his death. And like she and Gwen Verdon like kept that legacy alive. And she was kind of the foremost teacher of his style of dance, which I think we've mentioned before. He brought in jazz hands and rolling shoulders and knees in and the Fosse amoeba. All stuff I'm great at, Josh. <laughs> See Jason do all of those things if you go to one of his stand-up comedy shows. I'll put it um, on the Patreon if we get enough. Yeah, stuff. there you mm-hmm. go. Well, I thought it was interesting. Anne Ranking, the, the Tony that she won for Chicago was not the original run. It was the 1996 run 
that she won the Tony for choreographing it in the style of Bob Fosse was like officially sort of the title of it. So I thought that was interesting. A fun story about that also is she, if I'm not mistaken, she played the role in like the 70s and agreed to come back and like choreograph it, like you said. And then they couldn't find an actress to like play Roxy Hart. And she was like, I guess I'll play Roxy Hart again. And then it was a huge hit again with her, you know? Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Both of those actors, not in, in a very, very small number of films, but clearly huge successes on stage. And, you know, given my, like I said, I really like the relationship between uh, Joe Gideon and his daughter there. I was wondering about the actress, uh, Ursabet Foldy, who plays the young, uh, the daughter of Joe Gideon in this film. This is the only movie she was ever in. There's very little information. IMDb claims she became a born again Christian after this. I don't know if that's actually true, but definitely has not been in any other films or anything like that. She's like our our friend Rainbow, whatever her name was from- uh, Oh, Rainbow Harvest, yeah. yeah. From Old Enough, which we talked about in our 1984 season, uh, the Sundance winner who just one thing as a young person and then who knows where they are, so. I have a personal story about Mr. Ben Vereen. Oh, okay, Ben Vereen who plays the big entertainer in the, uh, the final production number there. Yes. So Ben Vereen, obviously a huge Broadway star and, you know, some film and some of us remember him as Webster's uncle who tried to kidnap him in in Webster. We always bring up different strokes in Webster as much as possible here. (laughs) But, you know, obviously he was a touring act where he would just do these one man shows all over. And my grandfather, Van Harris, opened for Ben Vereen and He's he opened for he actually speaking of Bob Fosse he opened for Joel Gray had wonderful things to say about Joel Gray he opened for like Rosemary Clooney had wonderful things to say about her Ben Vereen not a nice man <laughs> all right <laughs> I mean you know he said that uh, that as far as I understand it my grandfather did really well which was his job and Ben Vereen was pissed that he did so well because now he had to work harder that the audience wouldn't focus as much on him so. Yeah, that happens. You can't upstage the the headliner. That's how I mean, it goes. I'm sure you know a, about that, right? He's a stand-up comedian opening for a variety act. I don't know how right. you can. It's a different thing. Josh, sure. you want to talk about Frosty Verdon. I know you do. I mean, I I this is another thing that I didn't watch uh, that I would have been interested to see the eight-episode miniseries about Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon, played by Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams. Includes, I believe, a lot of the material from this. There are episodes um, about the real-life heart attack and recovery that Bob Fosse actually had while working on Lenny and working on Chicago. And there is also an episode about the making of all that jazz, which I would have, I was kind of curious, and I I just ran out of time and couldn't watch it. But I'm fascinated to see that because, you know, who plays Roy Scheider in that episode is- Lin-Manuel Miranda, yeah. and that seems like weird casting, so yeah. I'd be curious to see that. If I'm not mistaken, he plays both. Oh, yeah, you're right. He does play him in that. Yeah, that's good. That was uh, nominated for 17 Emmys. Michelle Williams won for Outstanding Actress in a Limited Series. I read an interview with Alan Heim, who we mentioned, the legendary editor of all these pieces. He said that they were very happy, like people who knew Fosse, they were all very happy with the Gwen Verdon portrayal but none of them thought that the Fosse portrayal was accurate at all. Hmm. I mean, it was certainly a highly acclaimed series that uh, I'd be curious to check out, but as we've established, I did not fit in anything extra for this episode. (laughs) Just had a busy week there. So that was all I could do. Anything else you want to mention on the legacy of all that jazz, Jason? 
no, Josh, I think we covered it. Um, I I recommend you know watching this and any other Fosse movie. I could go over a list of you know the other. I mean, look in pop culture, Better Call Saul, Eagle Heart, Glow, the Paula Abdul video, Cold Hearted, all influenced by it. Every actor in the world was up for this part, including Richard Dreyfus, Sir Richard Dreyfus, who turned it down and said, "Damn it, why did I do that?" But uh, you know, <laughs> thank goodness Warren, we got that Richard Dreyfus impression back. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Warren Beatty, Jack Lemmon, Paul Newman, John Voight, Alan Alda, Robert Blake, Jack Nicholson, Elliot Gould, Gene Hackman, George Siegel, all up for it, but in one way or the other, or discussed. It's Roy Scheider, and he did yeah. a great job. So, and no nomination for. The Golden Globe for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Were there that many better that year? Who knows? That's all, Josh. I got a lot in. You got a lot in. I still love you, guy. Dave, you too. Let's move on. Thank you, Jason, (laughs) for that expression of love. That's all that jazz. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Check us out on the old social media. Yeah, I'm Jason Harris Comedy and all the socials. My website, go for Jason. You know the song Everything Old is New Again that I reference? If it was about my website, it would be everything old is old still. It's not a good <laughs> website. So don't yeah. go there. However, awesomemovieyear.com, that's a serviceable website. We're on Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. My website, not that great either. JoshBellHatesEverything.com. I do have a little thing about Cabaret on there uh, when I watch that. So Ooh. if you care for my slight thoughts from many years ago on cabaret uh josh bell hates everything i have to ask you does that article start with you saying welcome bienvenue to my thoughts on cabaret it does not damn it josh bell hates everything on facebook and at signal bleed on twitter and listen to our producer david rosen's awesome podcast piecing it together Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and you can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And uh, check out the Patreon too for uh, Dave's Dave's music, his uh, Fosse-esque. Yes. Yeah. I'm always putting something on <laughs> Multitasking there. Multitasking so, yeah. there. I want to hear a Fosse-inspired music composition by Dave. Can we get that? That would be yeah. something. I don't know if that fits I, with I, I need style. to take some speed first, I think. <laughs> <There> <laughs> <you go. laughs> so, Jason, what's coming up in our next episode? Josh, it's our documentary pick. It's Garlic is as Good as Ten Mothers by seminal documentarian Les Blank. And guess what? I know nothing about this film, but I do love garlic, and I have mixed feelings about my mother. We'll get into all of that <laughs> I next do love time. Her. Tune in for Garlic is as Good as Ten Mothers, and thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.